And according to what Rabbi Hertzberg told me, uh, lots of great music coming up at the Yeshiva of Flabash. Now, I, I don't want to say anything yet on the air because it's very possible that the information he gave me is confidential. So I will open our conversation by asking him if we can reveal what's going to be happening at the Yeshiva of Flatbush today, and then we'll continue with our conversation regarding what's happening in Israel today. Rabbi David Hertzberg, of course, is the principal of the middle school uh, division at Yeshiva of Flatbush, and uh, for us, he is the host of of a very important segment, a great show that airs on Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And that's, of course, Israel at 75. As we get closer and closer to Israel's 75th birthday, we want to make sure that as many people as possible are familiar with the history of the uh, modern state of Israel. And that's uh, his goal and my goal. And I hope that uh, everybody out there has been taking advantage of the offering. And if not yet, then hop aboard. And we'll remind you about it right here at JM and the AM. Rabbi David Hertzberg, a pleasure to say Chodesh Tov and welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum Chodesh Tov, to you and everyone as well. So is it confidential information, or can we tell everybody what's happening on the first of Adar, the second day of Rosh Chodesh Adar, the Yeshiva of Flatbush? No, I think we, we can tell everybody, Baruch Hashem. We All can right. tell everyone. So, you're, expect, so uh, you're expecting the one and only, the big superstar, Joey Newcomb, to visit your school and actually perform in what I assume will be a Rosh Chodesh Chagiga today at the Yeshiva right, of Flatbush. He's going to be giving several concerts from uh, the early childhood up through the high school today, uh, entertaining and us and helping us bring in uh, the month of Simcha. Pretty amazing. Adar. Pretty amazing. And I know that this is not our topic for today, but I will note uh, that it is uh, wonderful to see that in this generation, and frankly, I don't think it was like this in every generation, uh, but in this generation, thank God, uh, the uh, the children, the youngsters in our community uh, can relate to and can enjoy uh, the incredible spirit of inspiration of somebody like Joey Newcomb. And I'm sure you're expecting it to be an amazing day in school today. We're all very excited. We're all looking forward to uh, to sing with Joey. Thank you, Hashem. Yeah, exactly. That and a whole bunch of other great hits. Rabbi Hertzberg, um, I, I really asked you to come on this morning for one reason. Um, in addition to the fact that you've become our uh, expert when it comes to modern Jewish history, and that's something that we continue to uh, promote, obviously, uh, through the program that you're doing. Um, I felt it was important with, with the, uh, the way things are going in Israel and with the millions, as the uh, reports have it, I don't know if those are accurate reports, but okay, let's say certainly large numbers of people taking to the streets and protesting proposed changes to the judicial and essentially to the legislative sections of the uh, Israeli government, um, I, th- I felt it was important to emphasize to everybody that as as terrible a, an episode and as horrible a time as it seems we might be living through, obviously we are observing it, it's our brothers and sisters who are living through it, uh, this is just yet another challenge in a very challenging 75-year history of the state of Israel. When, when you see the division that has been formed by this issue in the Holy Land. What are your thoughts in terms of its context in modern Jewish history? That's a great and powerful question, Nahum. And again, my area is history. I'm not a uh, legal analyst or anything along those lines. But certainly in our 75-year history, we have been down painful roads before. 
Uh, we're a passionate people. Uh, we take our positions seriously. And we've experienced this before. You know, from the beginning of the state or the pre-state, you had divisions between, let's say, the Haganah and the Ergun, David Ben-Gurion and Menachem Begin. You had the Altalina episode, which uh, actually Menachem Begin viewed as one of his proudest and best accomplishments where he prevented a Milchemet Achim, a, a civil war. Right. You had the IDF and the Palmach. We had the reparations with, from Germany in 1952 with Menachem Begin's famous powerful speech. So we've had in the past a very painful and passionate divides in the country. And Baruch Hashem, you know, cool heads ultimately prevailed and we were able to get through them and continue functioning as a state and move on and move on to the next thing. And I guess sometimes and sometimes not that required compromise from two very passionate sides as you describe uh do you think and again i know you're not a you know you can't predict it's hard to predict the future but do you think that you know as things come to some type of conclusion i'm assuming in the next few days or weeks uh we'll be able to in fact live with some type of compromise and thing you know cooler heads will prevail and this issue will become one that that does not lead to the what seems to be the hatred and vitriol that we're witnessing now look i think that ultimately as people try to understand the positions of each side. That doesn't mean to agree with the other side, but to at least understand where they're coming from, what their concerns are. That often brings the temperature down. I'll tell you a anecdote, a humorous anecdote I had, which though is sadly very serious. I was a number of years ago off in, in a taxi in a, in a uh, meeting in Tel Aviv, and the driver asked me my opinion on the politics, which I usually don't answer, but this time I gave him an idea. I said, you know, when people ask each other their opinion, actually listen to what the other person has to say <laughs> and not right away. But, and the driver, we were driving on them, I mean, you know the streets of Tel Aviv. He turned, he stopped looking at the road in front of him. He turns to me and says, Ezerayon, Aftam lo shamati etze. You know what? <laughs> what, what an idea. idea. <laughs> I never really thought of that. Actually listen to the guy's answer that he's, that he's telling me. So I think once we get to that, to get to that point, you know, historically, uh, President Herzog, uh, you know, recently gave a very impassioned speech of calling all sides to, uh, to, to come together. Right. Now, in fact, you know, if we go back even in American history, in 1790, where our country almost didn't survive itself, uh, Hamilton and uh, Alexander Hamilton and James Madison were fighting viciously over, over certain key issues. And finally, it was Thomas Jefferson who invited them to a dinner, a famous yeah. dinner in 1790, where they actually worked out the compromise. So it wasn't through a speech, ultimately, but through a dinner that they got to a very important compromise at the time. So I'm optimistic, you know, Be'ezrat Hashem, that we're going to get past the rhetoric, we're going to get past the vitriol, and, you know, for starters, to hear each other's positions in a, and give each side the benefit of the doubt and, and, and validate, and, and then move from there to a position that can move the uh, situation forward. Right, David Hertzberg's with us, host of Israel at 75 for us here on NSN. Um, do you sometimes think about what it was like at the very beginning? You know, we are used to now, we're certainly used to it, but I think even in the 
18th and 19th centuries in the United States. Uh, They were getting used to the idea of three branches of government and the unique role that each one has and the checks and balances that supposedly, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek or sarcastically, but, you know, it doesn't always seem that way, but but certainly supposedly the the checks and balances that, uh, that, uh, you know, we benefit from because of the system. Do you ever think about it, what it was like in 1947, 1948, as the state was being formed, and as they were trying to come up with the proper system of democracy, uh, do you think the United States was a model for Israel? Do you think it was more of a British or European model? And do you think that that it was, uh, you know, in any way revolutionary for that region of the world? I think the Israeli system at the beginning is a mixture or or challenge, so to speak, of several different forms. Yes, it's based on the British system to a degree. Um, it does not have a constitution, which was not necessarily the plan at the beginning. So it's based, it's a parliamentary system as opposed to the presidential system that we have here in the United States. So those things at the beginning in terms of it's uh, basing itself on, on, on different things um, certainly has led to where we are today in the sense that certain things aren't worked out. Now you read a lot in the paper and you hear in the media that if only Israel had a constitution, many of these challenges wouldn't be there. Right. That may be, but it's important to note historically why Ben Gurion opposed uh, and kept delaying a constitution. You know, right or wrong, his opinion was at the time. It seems from historians again always ambiguities that he felt that a the country would not survive a constitutional convention at the time at the beginning. It uh, you know he, he was trying to build a country, build an army, build an economy. And if we got sidetracked, so to speak, trying to figure out the Constitution with all the different sides, it wouldn't have succeeded. So, again, whether right or wrong, we can't tell in terms of what would have happened. But certainly the idea of not having the Constitution at the time and delaying it wasn't without some rationale. So the parliamentary system is sort of de facto, meaning he needed a system that would that would make sense and that would work. And at the same time, people felt they were being represented significantly in the government. Correct. He needed a parliamentary system, and he needed the different factions, of which there were many. Unlike in America, you know, we have essentially two parties, even though the parties themselves are uh, not homogeneous, but the different factions to, to make up that coalition. And uh, coalition governments, by definition, are less stable or less able to do certain things, right. although in that system necessary to keep the engine of government and policy running at all. So we got to this point, uh, not to generalize too much, but so many people on this side of the world are trying to understand it from our perspective because we're used to, again, the system here in the U.S. We got to this point in Israel because there is no constitution. Therefore, there are many, I don't want to say loopholes, but but many directions that the government and the judiciary, for instance, right? we're talking about the judicial reform, could right. go in in order to uh, figure out how they want to work. So at different times in Israel's short history, ju- the judiciary, for instance, figured out different systems or implemented different systems, uh, right? Would that, would that basically describe how we got to this point? Well, correct. It was a part, kind of a seesaw. You know, Israel has its basic laws, but even within what the basic laws, which are quasi-constitutional, there's a debate. What's their status? Can they be can they be undone by just a simple majority vote of the Knesset, or do they have greater status than those types of laws? And that's debate. And then when the court at different times was 
less in term was was less in favor of judicial review. That becomes something in the second more in the uh, second half of the Israeli history of, of these seventy five years. So there is this back and forth. Right. And again, you have the idea of checks and balances, which decide that is against judicial reform. It feels that the, the a strong judiciary has to uh, be a check and balance to the legislative and where the executive branch is tied in with the legislative branch as is in a parliamentary system. And you have the other side saying, look, the uh, judiciary is way too powerful. It's more powerful than and more activist than arguably any other court in the world. Right. And there's no check and balance on them. So, so hence the problem. So because the judiciary system in Israel is changeable, right, is malleable to some degree, that's where the politics comes in. Because then you have the legislative branch that's having a tremendous effect, or at least has the potential to, as we see now, uh, to, to alter things, to, to change things. You know, the, Again, I'm not suggesting that in the U.S., Things don't change. The court has changed over the centuries, and things do change. But this this would be considered for us a real drastic change uh, if uh, judicial reform moved in the direction that the the real right wingers want to see it move. For us, it would be drastic. In Israel, as you just described, it's you know a system that allows for change, and the only ones who can change it are the legislative branch. Does that does that sum it up? Is that I mean, at the moment, more more or less. And the question is, how are those changes going to be implemented? Right. What will it take to to change the laws or to overrule the judicial review? A simple majority, uh, two thirds majority, uh, three quarter majority. These are the the debates. And in America, we can make amendments to the Constitution, but it's a very complicated. Uh, process that's not easily done. And when we do make an amendment to the Constitution, we're essentially saying we're philosophically changing something that may have been in the founders' minds at the beginning. Right. In Israel, it's, it's, a, it's a different process and it's a, it's a different philosophy. Plus, of course, you have judicial appointments and uh, elections that also tr um, uh, work its way into this whole situation right. because there are those who are not happy with the way that occurs. Um, Correct. Ha how much, you know, for example, in the in the judiciary, how they're appointed, which is the makeup of the court system, right. which is shorthanded to begin with. We we're speaking nationally in, in Israel, not being able to handle the number of cases that are are being presented to it. But how much of the makeup of the court reflects the change in uh, and the sensitivity to changes in the Israeli demographic, in, in terms of how future judges are are appointed in also a complicated process that doesn't necessarily represent all uh, factions of the all factions of the country all right understood wow uh well very interesting times i guess all we can pray for again as you mentioned earlier is that some type of compromise is uh, is proposed and accepted and that uh we're able to move on i would hope with with some change but not that much change to the system because that much change really could you know just heat things up tremendously um right, look, maybe the president will be successful in his venture we look we certainly hope so president herzog gave an impassioned speech the other day of, of really calling for cool heads and really at least in in the rhetoric moving up to his suggestions trying to capture the emotion of both sides that um and that each side should hear at the very least to sit down they hear the the concerns of you know the concerns of each side and as you cited but, 
I mean, you cited it from an American history perspective, but uh, there are times when there are personalities who are able to to do this, who are able to bring people together and you know and 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 make both sides understand that they've got to you know give a little uh, in order to get something, and uh, hopefully that's that's what that's what's going to happen in Israel as well. As that Hashem, you know, it's it's. It, I think it pains everyone here, certainly our brothers and sisters in Eretz Israel, to see what's going on, to see that level of, uh, you know, accusations one side to the other, and uh, I think everyone would like to see it somehow be uh, solved speedily in in, in an expeditious fashion. The question is, do we have the right personality? to lead the uh to, to to lead us to that solution that's really the question be interesting to see that's, you know that's really the question but hopefully if we look at you know at at uh at uh our history of the other events you know whether it was the month i mentioned the caster trial the right. painful time of yamit Gushkatif, the rabin assassination ultimately history has demonstrated that the cooler heads do prevail and we're able to come some necessity forces us to come to some form of comp- compromise. Yeah, I so think hopefully Bez- will get there again. Yeah, I just think it's always important uh, to to remind people that there have been that there. I, I don't want to say much more difficult situations. I don't know if it, it's fair to compare, uh, but there have been some really tough situations in the history of the modern state of Israel. And thank God we've been able, with the help of the one above, to get through it. And hopefully that'll happen here as well. Uh, Rabbi Hertzberg, I thank you. I thank you for your perspective, and uh, and let us hope, in fact, that uh, we'll look back at this and and uh, and realize that cooler heads did prevail and that we're able to move on. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you so much, and everyone should have a Chodesh Tov. Chodesh Tov. Enjoy Joey Newcomb coming to the Yeshiva of Flatbush in the heart of Brooklyn later today. And Rabbi Hertzberg can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, Israel at 75, featured right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. If you want a uh, real perspective as we get closer and closer to Israel's 75th birthday about the history of the modern state of Israel, make sure to tune in. And certainly, of course, the archive is available 24 hours a day at NahumSiegel.com and on the NSN app.